Holy Spirit, would you do a great work in our lives tonight? Once again, we don't want to just come together and talk about theology. We want to talk about you. We want to know you. And we won't know you unless you help us, unless you open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see truths about you. And so would you change us as we meet here together tonight and that, that you'd be speaking to every heart. There's people here tonight who aren't even sure about what this is all about, but know that you're speaking to them. Would you speak loud and clear? Would your message be presented? And we use the things that we talk about tonight and the baptisms afterwards to be, a, to be building blocks and building your great kingdom on this planet. But start in our lives, Lord. Start in me. Speak to me. Speak through me. Change our lives, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys can sit down. The reason I have you guys stand up is because I want to make sure you guys are engaged as we're praying. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts 9. Let me tell you about what we're doing here. We've been studying the book of Acts for quite a while now. The book of Acts is an ancient account of what happened in the years after Jesus stepped off this planet. Jesus had a plan to take back the ownership of this planet from the devil. The devil had taken it from humanity when humanity rebelled against God. And Jesus came in as God in human form to take back the right to rule this planet. But the way that he builds his kingdom, the way that he determined to build his kingdom, is not like any other king would do. He didn't come in with force and make people follow him. Instead, he gives an invitation. Tonight, he's given an invitation to every one of us to be a part of his kingdom. In fact, he says in Matthew 6, 33, that he's the most important thing that we should do with our lives is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So guys, what we're doing here, my, my life is about, what your life ought to be about is seeking his kingdom. God, build your kingdom in my life. A kingdom is a place where a king reigns. Build your kingdom in my life and use my life to build your kingdom out there. So we, re, we, we studied the book of Luke all about how Jesus did that, how he was training these, these 12 guys to set up his kingdom on this planet. And then he steps off this planet, and those 12 guys explode into a community of people, about 5,000 people in Jerusalem. Meeting in Jerusalem, the power of God pouring out on them, and there's all kinds of opposition from the devil. But when the devil opposes them, comes against them, rails against them, they pray, and through their prayer, they receive Holy Spirit power, and they, they punch back, and the devil is defeated every time. So we're going to see another tactic of the devil in something that we, we just kind of skimmed over last week, but I want you guys to look in Acts 9, Acts 9, and we're just going to look at a few verses um, st starting in verse 26, but, but first I want to ask you guys this, what is the most debilitating experience that you've ever had? You guys know what debilitating is, right? It's, how would, what's, how, would, you, would somebody define debilitating? What's that? What's that? Herniated disc. Okay. Debilitating is anything that keeps you from fulfilling your potential, right? Anything that holds you down. And maybe that's herniated disc. Okay. But I want you guys to think about what is in, in your life, over the course of your life, what has been the most debilitating thing that you've experienced? The thing that has, like, kept you from fulfilling your potential. This is a real question. Herniated disc, yeah, okay, thanks. I know, I know, a herniated disc. Okay, asthma? What, what else would you guys say? The thing that has kept you from, from the joy-filled, free life that Jesus intends for you to have. 
Money? Okay, money? He just had his mo a molar out so he can't talk. Fear? Fear, sin? What people think about me? I asked my wife this when I got up this morning, and she said, betrayal. Now, what, what, what's really interesting is I think if we ask people my age, they'd all, they wouldn't say herniated disc, even though they've had a herniated disc. They wouldn't say the, the physical pain that they've been through. I think most people who are my age, we got a few people in this room that, that age, I won't, I won't embarrass you, but the people who are my age are probably, would probably say the hardest thing, the most debilitating thing that I've ever ex experienced has to do with relationships, whether that was betrayal or hurt, or somebody letting me down, or turning against me. And, what's, what, and uh, the difference between people my age and the people that, who are your age is that you're still resilient at your age. And you'll only be resilient at my age if you put into practice the things that we're talking about tonight. Okay? Because otherwise, what happens by the time that you're my age, how many of you guys have been let down by people before? Okay? How, if you're not raising your hand, you haven't lived on this planet, okay? I mean, everybody, everybody gets let down, and everybody gets let down by everybody that they know at one point or another, unless they don't get close to them. But everybody that you get close to, your mom and your dad and your kids and your wife and your husband, everybody doesn't live up to your expectation of them. Well, maybe your mom. Yeah, Addison's mom, I'm sure does. But, but for, for, with the exception of maybe your mom, everybody else lets you down, and it's so disappointing. People hurt you, and we hurt people. So what we're talking about tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about, about forgiveness, and we're going to talk also about friendliness. Okay, so in verse 26 of, of Acts 9, remember what, what's happened here. Let me just remind you what has, what has happened here. Saul, who later is who's called Paul, the guy that wrote, writes half the New Testament, he was a guy who railed against the believers tried to kill them. He tried to destroy them. He did everything he could to stop the way, stop the cause of Jesus. And then as he's going to Damascus to arrest people, this is what we talked about last week, Jesus stops in his tracks. He has an encounter with the risen Christ, and his life is transformed. He's, he leaves Damascus, and he spends three years out in Samaria, in, in, uh, in Arabia, and in Syria. Comes back to Damascus. The governor of Damascus has a price on his head. He, he gets over the wall. But I think what's happening, well, he's out in the desert of Arabia. Now he's a Christian for those three years. Is He's learning that Jesus not only has a plan for his life, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to him about going back to Jerusalem to fix the relationship with the Christians there that he had railed against and destroyed so much of their lives. So this is what happens in verse 26. When, when Saul, later called Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried, and I would underline or circle that, to join the disciples, the believers, the Christians. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. You guys ever been in a situation? Has anybody ever killed anybody in here? I mean, probably not. But, um. <laughs> okay. You pro probably, not even Max has killed anybody. Um, but you, there's people who have treated you like you have destroyed their lives. 
There's, pe- there's people who you have hurt. And have, have you ever been in a situation where you've hurt somebody and you know you were wrong and you're repentant and the Holy Spirit has showed you that you're wrong and you go to that person and you knock on the door or you text them and there is a slam door in your face. Get out of my life. And that's what's going on with Paul here. Paul is there in Jerusalem and his intention is to get connected with people, with the community people who he had been such a jerk to. He destroyed their lives. In fact, they're scattered all over the place now because of him. The guy who had messed up the church, who had destroyed, had knocked the church down, messed up the church in Jerusalem. Now he's a believer and he's back and he's like, hey, I want to make things right. And they're not just afraid that he's going to kill them. They're, they're in that situation. You guys ever been in a, in, a, in a situation where you've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt you, hurt you and you're like, I was going to go to the merge tonight. But when I realized they were going to be there, I thought, decided I'd go to Wendy's instead. That's what's going on here. Saul is trying to connect with them, and they're like, no way. It's not going to happen. I want you guys to think about this. God is calling Saul, the Apostle Paul, to be the guy that he uses to Open the door to the world to come to Jesus. Saul's mission is to write half of the New Testament. Saul's the guy who, a few years after this, is in Jerusalem standing up for the Gentiles and saying, no, they don't have to become Jews in order to be saved. And what, I, what, what, what his ministry, his future ministry, is dependent on is whether he can reconcile to the people of God. Guys, I want you to think about this. Saul's, you guys wouldn't know who Saul was, or or the Apostle Paul is, or who knows what the New Testament would be like if Saul hadn't succeeded in connecting with the church in Jerusalem at this time. So it's vitally important that he, he, he reconciles with this group of people. And here's what I want to suggest to you. There are people who you... No, who have hurt you or who you have hurt, who are estranged from the church of Jesus and the community, even maybe the community at the cornerstone of Jesus, who will not fulfill their purpose in life, the calling that they have in their life, if they're not reconciled to the community of Jesus. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that some of you in this room hold in your hands the key to open the door for them to be connected again to the body of Christ so that they can fulfill what God is calling them to do. Because there are tons of people out there who are estranged from his body. And because they're estranged from his body, his body, when I talk about the body, the community of his people, because they're estranged, they're not able to fulfill what God is calling them to do. And you guys, holding your hands, the key for bringing them back. I'm asking you, do you I, want, I want you to think, do you know people like that? If you, I want you to get your, their face in your mind right now. And I want to ask you, are you willing to do what it takes to bring them back in? Because if you don't, I don't know if anybody else is going to do it. As a pastor, I know so many situations where people don't fulfill their potential because of 
relationship stuff. They stay away from the church. They're not going to that wedding because they might see somebody there. And they miss fulfilling their potential. Just recently, there's a couple of women that I've been trying to help work out some situation between them. They have so much potential to change the world, and they're not talking to each other. They both say, oh, yeah, I've forgiven each other, but they're not reconciled. At least one of them is resolved to just say, it's too painful. I'll let it be. I don't have to fix this. Let her go her way. I'll go mine. And they will not fulfill their potential without reconciliation. Because understand what the gospel of Jesus is. The gospel of Jesus, our message is a message of reconciliation. In fact, that's what we're called. We are, we, are, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives of reconciliation. Reconciling people to people and people to God. That's what we're all about. That means we forgive. That means there's nothing that anybody can do to you that is not forgivable. And if, you, if, it's some, if somebody's done something to you that you can't forgive, that you don't understand what, what Jesus did for you because you have never done, nobody has ever done anything as bad to you as what you did to Jesus. And he paid for your forgiveness with his blood. The power of God is released through the unity of God's people. Jesus said that. Jesus said the night before he died, the night before he's going to death to pay for your sin with his blood, he prays and says, oh, let, the, let them be one so that the world will know. How's the world going to know? By the unity of God's people. Psalm 133. Psalm 133, guys, if you, you want to put that up there, just the first verse and the last part of the last verse. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And, and, then, it, and then it says some stuff that we can study, but we're just going to look at the last verse. It says, for there the Lord commands the blessing. The power of God that we just sang about, when Aaron was up here saying that was powerful. But the power of God is, is not released if people in the community of Jesus say, I'm not talking to him. Or after all he did, we're not letting him back in this church. We are in the business of forgiveness. Anybody who doesn't understand that doesn't understand what Christianity is. We forgive, and there's no person that we cannot forgive, no matter what they've done. I want you guys to hear. Well, first, first let me ask you. I think we've got some stories here of reconciliation. Uh, so if you've got a story of how, these need to be one-minute stories because we don't have a lot of time, but I want to invite some of you guys to come and share a story. If, you know, if you're like, oh, yeah, what Steve is talking about, I know about that because this is how it happened. My mom and dad got back together. Or, yeah, you want to you share? Come on, come on. Okay, so Josie's going to share. And then I also, I also got a, a video I want to show you too. Yeah, so I definitely have a story. So in high school, everyone, well, I never really had a best friend growing up. And then I got a best friend in high school, and she was my everything. We did everything together. And our senior year, she made some choices that I had a hard time agreeing with. And at that phase of my life, I had a hard time knowing how to love her through them. Um, and so as I went into college, our relationship really dwindled. Uh, like dwindled is the wrong word. Like crash, boom, bang, fall to the ground, like not talking to each other, dreading seeing one another around. Um, 
but yet we would continue to try and to meet and see like, hey, how are you doing? How's life? It's good. It's great. It's awesome. Let me tell you about college. You're here. I'm there. Um, and I just really felt um, like oppression in that relationship. Like both of us, later we realized both of us just felt like not seen, not heard, not understood by the other person. And uh, I was graduating and, and realized that I was going to be moving back here to Texas. And I was like, okay, Lord, you've got to fix this because I can't keep walking around with fear that I'm going to see her around Arlington. Like this is, this is not from you. This is not okay. This is not living in unity. This is not loving one another. Um, and the Lord like opened up an opportunity. Like I happened to be in town over a break and she texted me and was like, Hey, I would, I would love to get the chance to talk with you. And I was like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Jesus, help me. I, like, talked to my mom. I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> like, like, seriously, it was, it was a hard relationship to be in. I always felt drained coming away from it, just like a battle, like going through a boxing match. Um, but my mom was like, yeah, you should absolutely go. And I had friends praying for me and went. And we sat down, and there was just something different, like, when we sat down. And it could only be the work of the Lord because when we sat down and we were just getting the chance to talk, the first thing out of both of our mouths was, can you forgive me? Because I have wronged you. Um, she told me that every time that we would meet together while we were in college, she felt bad about herself because she was comparing herself to me or she was trying to find a fullness in my relationship that I wasn't able to give her and I was looking at her wondering how I could fix her problems and that's not my place um, and so the Lord really intervened and like through that forgiveness through that vulnerability like he totally changed both of our lives around like I was excited to come back because I was like Lord like now that you've reconciled this relationship, I have a close friend, one who knows my heart and who I walk through a lot of life with. And now the Lord is doing like amazing things in her life. Like she has realized my fullness doesn't come from people. It comes from God alone. And that has transformed her life. And she is a completely different person than she used to be. And that is only because of like the Lord's power and ability to reconcile a relationship and himself to her and himself to me. So glory to God. I, want to, I actually want to show you guys a video. Um, can you put up the, the Africa video, the Rwanda video? Um, you guys know what happened in Rwanda in 1994? The, the president was killed, and the, the people that supported the president said, basically said, one tribe said kill the other tribe. And in uh, over about a 100-day period, about one million people were killed by neighbors, and it was horrific. How does a country build from that? Well, um, I want you to see this video. Can you, you ready to show up? Um, I want you to see this video of, of the country has rebuilt. The country has rebuilt, and it has rebuilt under the cross of Jesus. And under the cross of Jesus, there is forgiveness. And this is just one story. There's a lot of stories, but here's one story. Guys, I didn't realize that you might not be able to see the subtitles from back there. <laughs> so unless you speak Rwandan... Can, can, were you guys able to see the subtitles? 
You found a way. You looked in your own phones for something. Guys, um, if, you didn't see, if you couldn't see the subtitles, it's a story of reconciliation. And there's, I, I, I found story after story um, about Jesus healing people's hearts in Rwanda and willing to forgive. If they can forgive each other, we can forgive whatever people have done to us. Now, there's one, one other thing that I want to talk about tonight. Talking about forgiveness, I also want to talk about friendliness. And here's the connection. I want you guys to see in, in this situation where Paul comes back and his future depends on him being connected with the church in Jerusalem. He can't get inside. He can't, he can't get in. He can't get connected. Look at verse 27. One guy breaks the ice. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had fearlessly preached in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them. Guys, that's worth circling. Saul stayed with who? He stayed with the people who he had, he had railed against and killed some of their own members. He stays with them. And of all the people, here's what I want you guys to think about. Of all the people whose names could have been listed there, as far as reaching out to Saul, Barnabas' name is mentioned. Why Barnabas? Why, why not somebody else? You guys remember Barnabas? Barnabas entered the story by being, he was one of the seven people that was chosen to take care of the widows, remember? Okay. And remember, he's the guy that gives away a piece of land to fund the project. He's in with his whole heart. And so remember what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement. That's not his real name. That's what he called him. Because when he walked to the room, he walked to the room not worrying about what everybody was going to think about him. Like most of us do. He walked to the room thinking, I am here because there's people who need to be encouraged, and I'm going to find the person that needs encouragement, and I'm going to speak to them, and I'm going to bring them into the community of Jesus where they can be healed. And I want to say, let's be like Barnabas. Let's be like him. If you're here, and it's not your first time, it's probably because somebody said, hey, come and be a part of this thing. Somebody reached out to you. I want you to think in your life, who's been like Barnabas to you? I mean, I think, you know, I think about the, the, the steps I've taken from where I was to where I am now. And I think about, you know, there, I, I was thinking about it today. There's three, really three people who have had, other than my parents, but three people who reached out to me and said, you're in. You're good. You can do this. First guy was a guy named Dan Hoolan back when I was a kid in the Philippines. He was two years older than me. He cheered me on. When I was 10 years old and I thought I was just a stupid, ugly kid, I remember him saying, you're going to come when you get Faith Academy. That's where Addison graduated from back in the Philippines, me too. He said, when you get to Faith Academy, the girls are going to love you. <laughs> I thought, me? And I, I remember it because I was like, how could any girl ever like me? And all of us have had thoughts like that. So Dan Hoolan was one. Actually, I got a picture of him. Can you throw that picture up here? The one with... The one at the end of a concert? Yeah, there he is, right there. This is, he played with band Crumbacher, if, if anybody is my age and listen to that band. There he is right there. And um, he's just a good friend of mine. Um, second 
second guy, actually you can throw the second picture up here too, is a guy named Steve St. Clair. Um, Steve St. Clair was like a legend at Faith Academy back in the day. And you know who he is? And um, from the time I knew him, he, he cheered me on. And then, I, and then in 2006, I've told you some of you guys this story before. 2006 was one of the hardest years of my life. And I heard that he was going to be in Waxahachie visiting some, at, at, a, at a reunion that was happening there. And I thought, I need my kids to meet him. He's not going to rem remember who I am. But I just need to go introduce my kids to me because he had such an impact on my life. So we go down there, and he's, of course, as, as always with a group of people around him, he's just like telling stories. And we walk into this room where he is, and we just kind of stand there quietly behind him. And then he notices that we're there, and he turns around. And when he sees me and Ruth, he says, this is fantastic. And he grabs me and Ruth and hugs us. And Kiana was about, that was Kyle and Ian, but Kiana, Kiana who a lot of you know, now was in Japan. She was about 10 years old at the time. And he got down, and he said, he got down on his knees in her, in her face, and he said, your dad is my hero. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, my goodness. And he meant it. And th those are some of the best words I've ever heard in my life at a time when I was so hurting. And then, and then one more picture. Let's see. Tim Wright. Who knows Tim Wright? Tim Wright was a pastor at Grace Community Church. We, were, we, went, we moved to Texas. We were going to Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. We were late one Sunday. We thought, let's try this little church. We pulled into where Grace used to be at, over by Nizza Pizza, where Mosaic is now. And I thought, you know the way it is when you go to church or to the Cornerstone for the first time. You're like, Look, I don't want to be seeing this as awkward. And we walk in, and Tim Wright opens the door for us and says, welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Tim Wright. And I said, well, I'm Steve, and that's Ruth, but you're probably not going to remember that anyway. And Ruth's like, you're so rude to that guy. <laughs> Tim seemed like almost from day one, he was convinced that I was supposed to be a pastor at Grace Community Church. He, I, I didn't want to be a pastor. He wanted me to be a pastor. And he grabbed onto me and pulled me in. And if it, hadn't, if it hadn't been for those three guys, of course, probably another hundred people along the way too, but I wouldn't be here. Those guys were like Barnabas to me. They believed in me. They believed in me more than I believed in myself. So here's what I want to ask you guys. When, it, when Paul, Saul, later called Paul, has this mission ahead of him that he's supposed to accomplish. Everything hangs on him getting connected with the body of Christ. And Barnabas is a guy like Dan Hoolan. He's a guy like Steve St. Clair. He's a guy like Tim Wright who grabs Saul and says, hey, come with me. I'm going to introduce you. I want to ask you guys to do that. There are people who need to be connected with the body of Christ who will not be connected with Jesus' community unless you pull them in. Why don't we do that better? Why don't we do it? And uh, I thought, you know, one of the reasons is apathy. There's people, you know, this, this is worth writing down, guys. We're going to go through this quickly. One, apathy, there's, there's people that just don't care. It's like, I don't care. This is cool. It works for me. If, if they want to be a part of it, they can join, but I'm not going to pull them in. Most, for most of you, that's not the case. Most of you do care. But for many of you, you don't care as much as you care about all the other things in life. In other words, it's not that you don't care. It's that you're busy 
you got busy stuff. You got, I got, I got to get, I got all this other stuff that's important to me too. And how can I spend more time on some person? Thank God that Barnabas didn't think that way. Thank God that Tim Wright didn't think that way. Okay. Another reason is that we're afraid. Like, what are they going to think of me? Or what is somebody else going to think of me? What is the church going to think about me if I hang out with the, with the killer Saul? That guy did really bad things. And I don't want to be associated with Sure, I'll give him a coffee. But what if people start associating me with him? Guys, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. If you know the love of Jesus, you don't got to be worried about what all those people think. Fear will not drive your life if you are in Christ. And really, maybe, I think maybe the biggest reason here at the Cornerstone that we don't do that isn't because we don't want to. It's not that we don't want to. It's not that we're afraid. It's we don't know how. Think about, I want you, don't point. Don't look. But I want you to think about the most friendly person in this room. Who, who, who in this room acts like they like you? You guys know the question I'm asking. Who in this room acts like they don't care if you're here or not? What, that second question that I asked, do you think the people thought of you? Or do you think they thought of you with the first question? I'm begging you for the sake of the body of Christ and the fulfillment of the calling that Jesus has on people's lives that you guys be friendly. And don't be fake about it. People know you're fake. Shake their hands, give them a hug, get their phone number. And you know how the best way to get your phone number is not, hey, give me your phone number, man. It's like, who's this guy? You say, hey, let me give you my phone number. And you know what they always do? They say, you got your phone in your hand, go ahead and take mine. And you text them right then, hey, Bobby, this is Steve. Glad to have you back. Can I ask you guys to do that? Okay, we're going to go outside, and we are going to baptize Addison and Victoria. And Amanda, you're being baptized too. Okay, we got, we got three baptisms. Okay, okay so, so this is what we're going to do. Let me, let me just briefly explain what we're doing. Putting, putting Addison and Victoria and Amanda under the water does not do anything. Doesn't do anything for them except get them wet. Unless... It symbolizes something much deeper. The, putting them under the water is, is symbolically represents that G, when Jesus died, they died with him. The old Addison, the old Victoria, the old Amanda is no more. They've been resurrected into a life that never ends. You never die. You never die. You never die. Your body dies, but you live forever because Jesus paid the, pr- the penalty of death for you. This is good news. So what they're doing is they're being baptized into the community of Jesus is they're proclaiming to the world that Jesus is their master, they put their trust in him, and that all their life, their allegiance is to him. So guys, let's stand up, and we're going to go outside. Um, let's see if we can get outside in about two minutes, and then Matt's going to baptize them.